Open your Bibles, Acts chapter 2. We're in uh, uh, the sermon that Peter preached on the day of Pentecost. Um, I, I will point out in general that uh, the uh, whole sermon's not there because at the end it says, and with many other words, uh, he continued. So just in case you make that like the paradigm of how long I should preach, he preached longer, okay? I'm just saying. Um, when we get over there, old Paul, you know, he preached till midnight. The guy fell out a second story window and broke his neck. So, um, uh, at least, you know, we hope that doesn't happen. Um, I, I kind of find, I, I, not that the guy broke his neck or, or was hurt, but, uh, but, but I find a little bit of humor in that because I, I can put myself in Paul's mind like, oh no, you know, what do I do now? And he goes out and prays and the guy gets up and he's like, oh, thank you, Lord, give me that miracle. So I'm not going to be the bad guy here. So, uh. But, uh, but, but Peter's sermon was very short in the Bible and very effective. And is that because of Peter? No, it, it never is. Uh, you know, I, I, every week I try to bring something meaningful, hopeful, helpful to you. Uh, and some weeks, um, Spurgeon said about one sermon that it fell off the pulpit stillborn. It just, it died right there. It was just... And I have felt that way. There have been sermons where I'd say, oh, me, instead of amen. You know, it was just bad. I was preaching it. And I think, what was I thinking? You know, it just, and, 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 you know, and then sometimes I'll preach and it'll just be like, man, that was the best sermon I ever preached. You know what I found out? Those ones that I thought were so horrible, people would get more out of it. I don't know why, because it's not about me, right? Amen. It's not about you. It's about who Jesus is. And, and I, I told you last week, I, I had a real big ambition I'd get through the whole thing in one week. I could take this passage and preach for two months, and, and I'm going to try to do it in one day. Uh, and I got a little bit of time, so I'm going to try to get through it. But, but Peter gave an Old Testament context. He gave Scripture truth. He's going to apply it to Jesus. That's what we're looking at today. And then the people respond to what God's doing in, in, in that time and that place. And all we can do about that third part is ask God to do something. Because we can't make God do anything. Right? But God will do something when we are willing, able, and, and are ready for him to do something. And so today, I'm calling it Jesus is the point. Um, and, and there's a couple of things in here that I want to pull out and, and apply to us. And that is that church, number one, ought to be about Jesus Christ. I mean, we call ourselves Christians, right? It ought to be about Jesus. And, and in, I believe it's in Galatians. I should have looked the reference up for you. But it says, but if you bite and devour one another. And, and what I find is that in church, people sometimes look down upon or don't, don't love people, other people in the church. You know, being a friend and love means to love people despite who they are because they love you despite who you are. It's overlooking people's faults just to love them with God's love, right? But we want our own way. And, and, I, and I find that we, we do that sometimes. Also, I find that, that we, uh, we, we think that Christianity is about churchianity. I don't know if that's a real word. We've been saying it since I was a kid. But, but sometimes it's all about church. It's about the style and the form and uh, it, it, you know, depending on who you are, like you might like an order of service a certain way, or you might like songs a certain way, or you might like to dress a certain way, or you, you think you got to do this at this time or this this way. And if it varies, you think, well, that's not, that's not Christianity or that's not church. You, you know it's not church, but you associate the cultural aspect of church with what church really is. 
Now, I don't know if that made sense to you, so let me just stop and explain. I'm not talking down to you. I just want to make sure I'm clear. You don't go out of here thinking I said something I didn't say. In every culture, the church takes on the image of those people. In other words, they do church in a way that is culturally relevant to them. And you and I are unaware of our own culture. That's, that's the problem unless you try to be aware of your own culture. That is, I think a certain way. Um, when, when Janice and I got married, I, I grew up in one household. She grew up in another. They were kind of different. They were kind of the same. And, and we grew up in, in, in roughly the same area. Uh, you know, I mean, South Carolina's a pretty small state. She was in one part, I was in another. And, you know, it was close enough. So, uh, close enough we could meet each other anyway. And, uh, and, and so we had a similar, similar culture, but even my family life culture was different. And so sometimes when you get married, you clash. Any married people found that? Yeah, that's solved in Isaiah 53. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned each one to his own way. And the Lord's laid on him the iniquity of us all. The, 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 every conflict is because you and I disagree, and we disagree because you're doing it wrong. Right? If you just see it the way I see it, we'd be fine. And in our churches, we think if we don't do it the way we were culturally taught to do church, it's not church. But church is not about our culture, it's about our Christ. It's about Jesus. And it's okay to apply what we learn about Christ culturally to our culture, because that's how we reach our culture with the gospel. But the gospel is transformative. It transforms the bad parts of our culture into what God wants us to be, right? And it's okay. It's okay to be a southern boy from Charleston. You know, that's fine. But I can't let that precede what it means to be a Christian. You following me? Okay, I I just wanted to point that out because Peter here is preaching Christ. He's not preaching culture, he's preaching Christ. And and by the way, we've made that mistake in the church, the the universal church, in our missions movement, late 1800s, early 1900s. We took culture, not Christianity, to some peoples in the world. And you can go right now to parts of Africa and they're singing songs that sound like our songs, only in their language. It's not a culturally relevant song to them. It's just they, they made them try to be like us instead of being like Christ. And so we've learned that. And now we go into a culture and we just try to get them to know Christ and then help them apply Christ to their life. So I want you to catch that. There's, we're going to see a couple other things. And that is because we do churchianity instead of Christianity, we can get fooled about who Jesus is. Because... Jehovah Witness, Mormon, come to your door and start preaching another Christ to you. And you go, well, that, that kind of makes sense. Because it's so much on the surface and not on the, the basis of the reality, but on the surface form of it. The Bible says they had a form of godliness, but denied the power of it. See, I can show up at church and look good and put on a mask, put on a face, put on a right clothes. I can speak the language of the church and you think I'm okay. And I could be as lost as lost can get. I mean, I've known people that did that. I've known people could talk the talk, but they weren't walking the walk. And the ones I know of got saved, and that's why I know that they were doing that. Because I'm not a judge of whether you're saved or not. Only God can do that, right? So I ask the Holy Spirit to convict you if that's where you might be. But 
a good friend, and, and uh, 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 well, I thought of one. I'm going to tell the story on another. Uh, he became a Christian, and uh, when he talked to his friend about it, his friend said, you need, he was a lawyer, and so his other lawyer friend said, you need to go to seminary and learn about, about God and the and Scripture and the Bible and get a good, quick, intense study by going to school. He said, I've taught through the Bible three times. He said, yeah, but you were lost. You didn't even understand what you were teaching. The guy had been a Sunday school teacher, had taught through the Bible three times, and he was lost. And he got saved, and all of a sudden, it became real. There's a difference. And so, I pray that if you're sitting there today, and you've got churchianity today, you'll find Christianity. And, and only the Holy Spirit can convict you of that. I, I can. In fact, I don't have any plan in the sermon to do that. And, and another thing here is we're going to see that everything that God does or allows to happen, He has a reason, a purpose behind it to make you look more like Jesus. And that God has something for you. In fact, here's what I want you to take home with you today. Go ahead and put up the next thing, if you don't mind. Jesus is always the point. Everything you read in Scripture, Jesus is the point. In fact, you know, sometimes we read the Bible just to check off the box we read the Bible. Read the Bible looking, how does this apply to Christ? What, are, what do I learn about Jesus here? Because Jesus said, search the scriptures, for in them you have eternal life, and these are they that testify of me. He said all the Old Testament was just telling us about him. Okay? We understand New Testament's all about Christ because we've met him now. But the Old Testament is only talking about him coming. The first time... And sometimes the second time. And, and, and everything in the Bible is talking about Jesus. So he's always the point. He's the point of our life. He's the point of our marriage. He's the point of our job. He's the point of everything. But he's the point of all of Scripture as well. So let's stand up. We're going to read these verses. I've told you what I hope to get accomplished. And now I'm going to try to accomplish it. We're going to begin in verse 22. Picking up after Peter finishes referencing the Old Testament. He says, Men of Israel... Hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosening loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad, and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades, or let your Holy One see corruption. You've made known to me the paths of life, and you will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to hell, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up and of that we all are witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he's poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. 
Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Would you pray with me? Lord God, we thank you in Jesus' name for your word. We thank you, Father, that the only begotten Son, Jesus, you sent and proved that he was both Jehovah and the Messiah. And Lord, we thank you that Jesus is the point. We thank you, Jesus, for pouring the promise of the Holy Spirit out on us. That we could understand what you've put into your word. That we could have fellowship with the Father and with you and with the Spirit. And that just as you are one, we can be one with you. We thank you, Lord, that we have that awesome privilege. Help us not to look at this so shallowly. But help us to see that, Lord, this is more than than anything we've ever imagined. And give us grace today, Lord, to comprehend and to respond to your word, your gospel, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You be seated. As, I, as we were talking about this sermon and studying on this sermon, I, I, I came to the realization of a couple of things. Like when we talk to somebody about being saved, we, we talk about them going to heaven. And that's not what salvation is about. Salvation is about having a relationship with God. About being filled with the Holy Spirit. Having the Holy Spirit in your life. It's not about, I don't want to go to hell, I want to go to heaven. It's about... Having God rule and reign in my life, because if God rules and reigns in my life, guess what? I'm going to heaven. It's not, the point is not to get to heaven. The point is to get to know God, right? And, uh, and, and, and that's, that's something else that struck me. But wow, look at these verses. In the very beginning, there in verse 22 of this passage, he says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God. Now, you've got to put yourself in the context of where Peter is. And, and you got to understand, you and I grew up hearing about Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ. Those names and titles mean certain things. The word Christ is the Greek word for the Hebrew word Messiah. Okay? So every time you see Christ, if you say Messiah, it might, for me, it makes it more impactful. Uh, because we think that Christ is his name. Christ is his title. Lord is his position. He is Jehovah. He is Yahweh. He is God. You say, well, I thought the Father is Yahweh. He is, but he and the Father are one. They can share that title. And the Father and the Son are distinct persons, but both can lay claim to the name of the I am who I am. That's my name, right? When they came to arrest Jesus in the garden, he said, who are you looking for? He said, Jesus of Nazareth. He said, I am who I am. And they fell over dead, like dead men. He said, get up, get up, get up. Who are you looking for? And they said, Jesus. He said, yeah, well, it's me. And they took him away. But he said the name of God and they fell down. Because it was God in the flesh saying it. And so we, we get confused a little sometimes about who Jesus is. And Peter is letting these people know because they know about Jesus. They know about this radical guy running around talking things that... That nobody had really comprehended before. And that the Pharisees had had the Romans put him to death for them on a cross. And now these guys are going to get up and say, that guy, that, that rabble rouser, that rebel, is the Messiah. He is Jehovah. Now that's a radical claim. See, we read it because, like I said, we grew up in church. We're, we're from down south. We grew up in a church culture. And yet the Lord Jesus Christ, praise the Lord, he got up from the dead. Yeah, he died for our sin. And, and that's good. I'm not making fun of that. that. That's good. But when we say that, we don't quite catch what we're saying. When these guys said Jesus is the Messiah, he died for your sins and rose from the grave, they're making a claim 
that, the, that, that culture that those Jewish folks wanted to kill him for. Because they're looking for the Messiah. And Peter stand up saying, and you missed it. That's him. He was here. He told you he was that. But you wouldn't listen to him. And to prove it, the father raised him from the dead. Just so you would know he's the Messiah. That look, what it says in verse 22. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs. Catches that God did through him. I've told you many, many times, and here's a, one of the proofs of it. That Jesus never did anything as God. For if he had done it as God, he could not have died for man's sins. Okay, you got to get a real good grip on this. And here's why you got to grip, get a grip on it. Because if Jesus did what he did because he was God, you and I can't be saved. And we have no hope and no power. It's just like, well, Jesus could do it because he's God, but what can I do? Well, the Bible says in Romans 8, 11, the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. The things that Jesus did right there, it says God did through him. Not that Jesus did it, but God did it through him. Do you hear what Peter's saying? Is that plain in your text? Yes, it should be. And so God attested that he was the chosen one by doing great miracles and signs and wonders through Jesus. But it was God doing it. Was Jesus filled with the Holy Spirit from before he was born? Yes, so was John the Baptist. Only two people we know of filled in their mother's womb with the Holy Spirit. Okay? So... Everything Jesus ever did was by the power of the Spirit, all right? And, and it says, and God did them through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. In other words, he said, you saw it, you can't say you didn't see it. See, this is all showing the approval of God the Father that Jesus is the Christ. So this Jesus, he points him out again, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. So first of all, Peter wants to define Jesus. See, I said it earlier that the question is which Jesus? Paul said in Galatians, you foolish Galatians, who's bewitched you? Having received Christ by faith, now you think you can be finished by works. He says in Galatians, if an angel of God comes and tells you something different than the gospel that was proclaimed, let him be, he's accursed. And so you have people knock on your door, some of them in a white shirt and a tie, spending two years. I, I, I knew of a Christian that talked to a couple of Mormon guys on bicycles. And, uh, and the guys were excited because most people wouldn't even talk to them. Why not? What are you scared of? If you've got the truth, you don't have to be afraid of what anybody else says. But here's the problem is, and, and listen, I'm not fussing at you, and... and Last week, I caught myself. I, if you were here last week in this service, maybe you weren't. But if, if you're in here today and you were here, I caught myself. I was saying something that sounded so mean, and I didn't mean for it to. Sometimes that happens. And I caught myself. I was like, wow, that sounded mean. I didn't mean to do that. I, I, I'm not fussing at you because if you don't know about Christ, that's my fault. That's not your fault. Well, it is your fault, but it's, not my fault. It's, it's, it's also my fault. I ought to be teaching you the truth. I mean, you can read. you got a Bible. You can find out who Jesus is as well as I can, Right? Okay, on that level, you're without excuse. But on another level, it's my job to teach you and help you understand about Christ. That's part of my job. But my wife said, that's right. You know, so I, thank you, baby. Um, 
By the way, we didn't plan, and Mike didn't know we were going to do that testimony about him. That was just on the spur of the moment, just so, so you know that. I meant to tell you that. So anyway, so, but Peter's, so these guys come to your door, Jehovah's Witnesses, whatever. Oh, well, there's no Trinity in the Bible. Really? And then they have these little proof texts, and they try to show it. I can show you verse after verse after verse where it mentions all three in one verse. We're going to see it in this passage as well today. We're going to see that in, down at the end. And, and verse 30. Uh, but but we, we, we get confused about who Jesus is. Which Jesus is the question? See, Mormons believe that Jesus is, is an evolved... He evolved into being Christ. He is an evolved God. That he died and was reincarnated. That he's brothers... He, he and Satan are brothers. That's Mormon theology. And that you're going to one day evolve into being a God like Jesus was. Now, you can show me that in the Bible if you want to, because I don't think you can. But, that's the, but now, if you say, are you a Christian? Yeah, we're Christian. We believe in Jesus. Which Jesus do you believe in is the question. And Peter is defining that Jesus. This Jesus, the one Jesus of Nazareth, God attested to him, this is who he is. Jehovah's Witnesses don't believe Jesus is God. They believe only Jehovah is God. That's why they're Jehovah Witnesses, not Jesus Witnesses. But they're Christian. They believe in Jesus. Yeah, Jesus was the great, greatest prophet they had. It's sort of like the Muslims believe Jesus is a greater prophet than Muhammad. At least the Quran teaches that. But they, they don't practice that. You, you talk to Kareem about that. He'll explain it. You see, the question comes down to which Jesus do you serve? And maybe more to the point for you and I. Do you believe in the Jesus of your culture or your church culture or the Jesus of your Bible? There, there's a difference. We have a book of our culture and we have the Bible. Which one, the scriptures, which one's going to be your Bible? Your book of culture or your book of, about Jesus? And so we learn about Jesus here. And, 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 and we see who he is. Uh, it, it, even in this passage, but we see it in Scripture. But then he comes along here and he says, This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Uh, uh, you ever have a bad day? Well, you, you giggle. I'll take that as, yeah, you do. And uh, thank you. I, I, I was afraid I was the only one. I mean... You know, sometimes you have a bad week, sometimes a month. I've had bad years, okay? So I, I, I get it. And, 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 we, and, and, and so many times, me, you, we, we all say, Lord. You know, we, we pray that biblical prayer, oh, Lord, how long? And, and, and the suffering sometimes that we are going through. And maybe you're sitting here today and you're suffering greatly today. Sometimes the things we say we're suffering aren't really suffering, but that's a ser- another sermon we do suffer. We do have struggles. We do have trials. Why? Well, because God's got a plan. And once you understand that God has a plan, you can receive anything God's got for you. Right? Again, Jesus is our example of that. He was born to die. And he always understood that. That he came into the world to save sinners. That he came to die for his brothers and sisters. He came to be the sacrifice, the lamb slain from before the foundation of the world on a cross for us. By, the, by 
<laughs> that the words in this verse, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. Do you understand that if you're in Christ, God has a definite plan for you? You say, well, I'm not Jesus. You know, of course he had a definite plan for Jesus, but he didn't have a definite plan for me. Well, then you don't understand scripture. He absolutely has a definite plan for you. And sometimes the suffering is a part of that plan. I, I don't want to make too much of it, but I don't want to make too light of it either. I, I grew up in a, a town. We have a military college there, the Citadel. Maybe you, you've heard of that, know about it. It's sort of like VMI, only different, uh, I'm sure. And I, If you're from VMI, I'm not, I'm, I'm not comparing. I'm saying one's better than the other. Don't come after me. I'm just saying that I, I knew guys that went there. Cousins went there. Uncles went there. I didn't go there, but they did. But I've talked to so many people in the military and they've gone through boot camps and things where they're getting yelled at and all this stuff. But a good friend of mine said, once you figure out it's a game, you don't suffer so much. He said, they really want your best, but this is how they get there. And so my buddy said he was just hungry, he was starving eating, he's at the Citadel. And they, and they have to eat square meals when you're a freshman. And that is you have to sit up ramrod straight, pick your fork up, eat, put it down, eat. You've only got so long to eat. He said one day he was just starving. And he, and he said to whatever his commanding guy was, permission to, to make a request. And the guy gave him permission. He said, may I have a peanut butter sandwich, sir? He said he was just hungry. And the guy said, Oh, you can have it. You eat and you whistle discs in 60 seconds. Go, go, go. And he says, well, the guy wanted him to eat, but he wasn't going to just say, oh, sure, go ahead and eat and feel better. He's going to make him do it. He said, when you figure out it's just a game, you just do it. He said, so they put, tra- you know, they had to walk in a certain place. So he put a trash can in his way and he couldn't vary his walk and he had to run into it. So as soon as I bumped it, boom, the guy pops out. Son, what are you doing running to a trash can? He said, sorry, sir. He said, apologize to the trash can. So he said, Mr. Trash Can, sir, I am sorry I ran into you, sir. He said, I don't think he heard you. Sir, Mr. Trash Can, sir, I'm sorry I ran into you, sir. I didn't hear you. Get your head in there. He said, put his head down in the trash can. He yells it again. He said, I sat back, stood back up. And the guy said, what did he say, soldier? He said, I figured if I didn't answer him, I'm going to be here all night. He said, forgiven, sir. (laughs) That guy said, what are you, crazy? Trash cans can't talk. Drop it, give me 50. Yes, sir. It's all a game to teach discipline, to get them physically fit, all that. Sometimes following God, you have a day where you run into a trash can, you feel like God put in your way, and then when you try to deal with it, it's like he's just riding your case. Anybody ever feel that way can admit it? Yeah, sometimes that's how it is. God's got a purpose and a reason. And if Jesus can go to the cross by the definite plan and will of God, from eternity past, they knew this plan, and he came to us anyway. What is it that is too great for you to go through for the cause of Christ to look like Jesus? That's not Peter's point here. But I want you to understand that point. That God has something for you that you don't even realize. In Isaiah 52, it starts this great passage about the coming Messiah. In in Isaiah 52, 13, and it goes all the way through chapter 53, 
and uh, verse 12. And I don't have time to read it. We don't have time to go through it all. But I want you to hear verse 10. It was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. And when his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper his hand. That was a promise I'm sure that Jesus clung to. On the cross, he began to quote Psalm 22. To say, I I realize that I am being the sacrifice of Psalm 22. And so, Peter points out this Jesus. And look at verse 24. God raised him up. (laughs) Loosening the... Loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by. Why could Jesus not be held by death? Why do we die? Sin caused death and Jesus had no sin. Right? He became sin but he had no sin of his own. And death could not hold on to him. And then he quotes David as a prophet. I've already read it. I can't read it again. David said that he would not see corruption. That is, his body would not rot in the tomb. And he's quoting out of the psalm here. And Peter says David was a prophet. And he knew that the the throne would not be eternal because David was going to be eternal. But because one of his heirs would be eternal. And Jesus was born, and he should have been on the throne of David, but Rome had conquered them. And Jesus died and rose again so that he fulfilled that promise that David saw. And Peter says, this Jesus, notice when he finishes it uh, uh, down at the, um, in verse 32, this Jesus God raised up and we are witnesses. This Jesus The one from Nazareth, the one you saw, the one who did miracles, the one you put to death. God has raised him from the dead and we have seen him. And it's this Jesus who is the Messiah. And look at verse 33. We see the coming of the Holy Spirit. And here's what it says. Being therefore, verse uh, 33, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he's poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. In the divine plan of God, the Son subjected himself to the will of the Father and the Spirit subjects himself to the will of the Son. And in in Acts 2.33, we see the path of the coming of the Holy Spirit into our lives. We do not receive the Holy Spirit by asking the Holy Spirit to come in. We receive the Holy Spirit by asking Jesus to give us the Holy Spirit. You've got to catch that order or you'll be frustrated. And there are people that want to talk about the Holy Spirit and it's good. Baptists don't talk about the Holy Spirit enough. He is God. He's the third person of the Trinity. But you have to understand we pray to the Father in the name of Jesus by the power of the Spirit. You have to understand the placing of the Trinity as they reveal themselves to us. I am sure that they go way beyond our understanding, aren't you? I'm sure the Trinity goes way beyond anything we can comprehend. But this is how God has revealed himself to us. And when we pray to be filled by the Holy Spirit, we pray to Jesus to fill us because he controls what the Holy Spirit does. Just as Jesus said, I don't speak of my own. I speak what the Father tells me to speak. Everything I do is because the Father told me to do it. I don't do my own will. I do the will of him who sent me. I can't even comprehend that language for Jesus as God to be saying that. But he emptied himself and took on the form of a man and did everything by the power of the Spirit. And he was obedient to the Father. And because he did that, 
Acts 2.33, because Jesus did what he was supposed to do, he's received. The Father said, if you do that, I'll give you the Spirit to control. And the Spirit said, good with me. And the Holy Spirit is under the control of Christ. And so he talks about Jesus in our lives. And he talks about Jesus through us to other people. So that they can hear the gospel. Are you with me? Okay, you might not have come on Memorial Day to hear all that, but I I want you to get a hold of that. And then look at verse 34. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he said, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. And then Peter puts a little bow on it. Look at, a great bow actually. Look at verse 36. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain. Now remember what I've been telling you. Specific Christ, listen, specific Jesus, has made him... Both Lord and Messiah. This Jesus whom you crucified. Now, 40 days before this, Peter's in an upper room. Well, actually, yeah, 50 days before this. Peter's in an upper room going, scared to death. He's going to be arrested and put to death. In 50 short days, less than two months, he gets up and gets in the face of the people who put Jesus to death and points his finger in their face and said, this Jesus whom you crucified is Jehovah and the Messiah. Now, next week, we see their response. But if you're reading ahead, it says, and they were cut to the heart. I know King James, if you're used to King James like I am, pricked to the heart. Sounds like he got a little thorn. No, this means like a spear driven through your heart. They said, what do we have to do? And he said, repent. Be baptized for the forgiveness of sin. Come to Christ. In the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sin. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. If you will bow before Jesus as Messiah and Yahweh, as Jehovah, he will give to you the Holy Spirit. And then you get to go to heaven. But that's not the point. You have the Holy Spirit. The point of our life, Jesus said, don't rejoice because demons are subject to your name. Rejoice, your name's written in the book of life. That's the point. We have a relationship with the Father. And if, if every day of my life on this earth is horrible, I get to die and go to heaven. So who cares? Heaven is not diminished Because of that. Heaven is made better. Than because of that. When I was a boy scout. My scout master said he used to have a boy scout. And as they were walking down this particular trail. There was a gravel road beside it. And the guy was walking on the gravel. Going ow, 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 ow. He said what are you doing? Why are you walking on that gravel? He said it feels so good when I get off. (laughs) I've often thought about that. As I think about this life. Sometimes I feel like we're walking down a gravel road. It's going to feel real good and I'm going to get off of it. Right? And God gives us a break. He gives us relief here. But I want you to have the hope today that God goes with you in the darkest times. Why? Because he's forming the image of Jesus in you. The Bible says in Hebrews that though he were a son, yet he learned obedience 
through the things he suffered. In other words, he experienced it. He knows what it's like. He said, we don't have a priest that can't be touched with the feeling of our infirmity. He was tempted at all points like we are, yet without sin. We come to Christ, and he understands because he was one of us. And he won the victory for us. And the suffering Jesus did, we'll never touch. We'll never be able to get there. And so the suffering we have is secondary to that. And we can come and know Christ. Well, I got a couple things that maybe you help you do this week. Let me, let me give those to you as we go. I said this one last week. I'm going to repeat it. Worship Jesus Christ every day. Don't let a day go by that you don't worship Christ. In fact, you ought to do it first thing in the morning. Just worship Jesus Christ. If, if you read your Bible in the morning, and I think that's a good time to read it, then, then as you read it, say, Jesus, how does this tell me about you? What am I learning about you? I, and, and worship Jesus as Jehovah. If, if you want, read Revelation 4 and 5, those two chapters. As you see all of heaven bowing before Christ. Just repeat the prayers of the angels in heaven. Bless you. Repeat the prayers of the angels in heaven in Revelation 4 and 5. And worship Jesus Christ every day. Secondly, read and pray to know Jesus Christ, not just to read and pray. Now, I've already made that application. Don't just read your Bible and pray to be reading your Bible and praying. Read it and pray to get to know Christ. Okay, does that make sense? I won't belabor that again. Number three, trust the one that redeems all that he allows. A friend of mine gave me that phrase. He put it on his computer going through a tough time. And now he said every time he looks at his computer screen, it says on there, God redeems everything he allows. If God's allowed something in your life that looks bad, understand he's going to redeem it. One day you're going to say, that was great. That was the most amazing thing ever happened to me. Look what God did as a result of. We all suffer. We all go through things. Some, we can't compare our suffering. It'd be crazy to do so. so I, I tell you, I come from a storytelling family. And it's whoever can tell the best story. I have to stop myself now. I'm in a group and somebody's telling a story. I want to say, yeah, well, guess what happened to me? And I want to you know, beat the story. We don't want to do that. But what we do want to do is, is go to God and say, God, you've got me in this place. What are you teaching me? Because I know that you're going to do something. Job said this. I see God at work in front of me. I'm going to paraphrase a little bit behind me. I see what he does to my right and my left, but I can't get a hold of God. But I know this. He knows the way I take. And when he is done with me, I will come forth as gold. Job said that. You look it up. Read the whole book of Job. It's laborious, but it's good. And that's what Job said. When God's done with us, we come forth as gold. Jesus makes that happen. And so, I want you to hold on number three. Trust the one that redeems everything he allows. And lastly, ask Jesus to refill, refresh, and renew you in the Holy Spirit. Ask Jesus to to. to just give you a fresh anointing, we call it, to, to give you a new understanding of who the Holy Spirit is in your life. You've got to be empty to self to receive the Holy Spirit. If you've got a full glass, he can't come in. So you've got to empty yourself of self and let the Holy Spirit reign in you. Read the book of Galatians for that. Walk in the Spirit and you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the deeds of the flesh are these and they're bad and they make sure if you're doing those things, it says you shall not inherit the kingdom of God. But this is the fruit of the Spirit. And if you're walking in the Spirit, then God will use you in this life. And so, Peter's sermon today was to let them know that they had killed the one that God had appointed as Messiah and Yahweh. 
And I don't get that. That's, that verse is one of those verses. It shows the responsibility of man and the sovereignty of God. And it meets in a way that I cannot understand or explain. But I know this, that God's got a plan. And he's given me an order. He's given me a job to do. And so I have to obey his will and his plan. Which is to tell everybody I possibly can about Jesus.